Hello and welcome to the July 26th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to have everybody here with me today. And of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you. So it has been a few days, and I missed my audience, no doubt about that. I missed recording. I missed speaking. <laughs> when is there a time that I don't miss speaking? I was actually made fun of yesterday at my place of employment because I've been assigned a couple of new tasks that involve... Uh, presenting and speaking in front of an audience and public speaking. And um, I never knew how much people recognize the fact that I like the attention, according to them. And I just want to believe that I like presenting and I like doing it. I like teaching people. But apparently, Mr. Joe's heightened mood, happy-go-lucky smile is just shining on his face. And uh, I've been extra social. Um, extra happy. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, and, and I don't know how to explain this, but I, I guess I'll start by saying this in a good way. I, I don't feel manic. Uh, a lot of times I will tell you that I'm happy and I'm, I'm speedy and I'm talkative and I have all these feelings that represent mania and it's reflective upon my mood. But I really just think that I'm feeling okay. And one of the things that led me to make this statement was something that transpired yesterday in which one of my coworkers is having a very difficult time with her 12-year-old son. And she explained to me and um, addressed with me the fact that he's been diagnosed with several different things, all of which have never came to a resolution. There was a time where he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum disorder, but she's not sure if it's that. Uh, severe anxiety, which there's no doubt there is a big component of that within this child. I've met him, a wonderful young boy, um, but she explained a lot to me. And there's no doubt there's some de depression there. Uh, there's a divorce taking place right now. There's a lot of social anxiety and uh, this co-worker started to cry. She started to uh, break down and cry, and I was as supportive as I could possibly be. And she started to rattle off all the things that she was going to do for this young man. And I have to say, she was right on target, right on target. She is doing all the right things. She's taking all the right necessary steps. She's going to enter him into a social group. Um, she's going to have him see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a pediatrician, uh, doing all the right things. But she went on to mention that, again, this has been an ongoing issue from the time that he was little. And in attempts to address this issue through medication, she made the following statement. She said, you know, I put him on Paxil. I think it was Paxil. Was it Paxil? One of those medications, either Paxil or, um, I forget the other one, but one of those um, old school antidepressants. And she says, within two weeks, I had to take them off. 
And I let her continue to talk, and she said, I just couldn't take the side effects, and I couldn't take um, how he had no filter, and all these things were happening to him. And I looked at her, and I said, two weeks. I said, i got to tell you, we can't go backwards now, because that was then, this is now. But if there is a a, um, plan moving forward, whereas therapeutic approaches do not work and social skills programs do not work. And I got to tell you, I do not think those things are going to work alone for him. I do think he's a prime candidate for medication. And she's okay with it, this mom, because she's seen how where I've come from. She actually listens to some of the podcasts that I've done. And she hasn't listened in a while, she told me, and that's fine. Um, I'd rather her not, you know, I, I, I would imagine it's kind of strange if she was to start to listen and hear her own story. But nevertheless, she's a very supportive person when it comes to me. And she has seen firsthand what medication has done for me and the positive effects it has had on me. So I don't think she's somebody who is against medication, but she's scared. And that's a, that's a very common feeling, especially for parents especially for us with bipolar disorder, depending on the experiences that we've had with medication in the past. But after I let her talk, I said to her, listen, I said, if you take the route of medication again, I said, you cannot pull this kid off medicine after two weeks. And here's what it leads me to stay, to, to mention to you as an audience. I am at a place now, and I think it took about a month, maybe longer, a month is only four weeks, maybe two week, uh, two months. So you want to say eight weeks. Eight weeks since I upped my Wellbutrin. And I'm not sure because I have not looked at the dates in which I started my increase. But I have to assume it's about two months. And two months translates into eight weeks. And I am finally starting to feel better. Now, when I first popped the pill, which was the increase... I guess you could refer to it as a placebo. I was depressed, then all of a sudden, bam, I felt better. That was within a day. And we all know that's not how it works. And I quickly learned that after a couple of days of being on a higher dose, and then all of a sudden, bam, I went right back down to depressive um, symptoms. But here I am approximately 8 to 10 weeks later, and I finally feel as if I have gained some real stability. It's almost like a light switch has gone on in my brain. And it's amazing because I don't feel depressed. I don't feel manic. I just feel like a person. Just feel like a person. And that's an amazing feeling to have. And I encourage everybody out there to continue to monitor your feelings, monitor your medications, talk to your doctors if if you're not pleased with the way you're feeling, if you're experiencing drastic mood swings, listen, we're all going to have mood swings, we're all going to have ups and downs, they're never going to go away, but the whole key here is to lessen the duration of those mood swings, um, and whether that means lessen them from six months to two weeks, or four weeks to four days, or somebody who's a rapid cycler like me, Whereas every couple of days I would go up and down, maybe a few times a day I go up and down. With the hopes that you gain stability. And in conjunction with that duration lessening, you want to have the intensity of those mood swings to also decrease. And I will say that much of my depressive symptoms 
have had the absence of suicidal thoughts. So I would look at that as progress. Much of my manic symptoms have not resulted in extreme behavior, have not resulted in any drug use, have not resulted in any hypersexuality, have not resulted really in a lot of late nights. So these are all good things. And this, this indicates to me that my medication is working and it makes me feel good. Something else that makes me feel good and I'm happy to report some really good news has happened to me at work. Good things are definitely happening. I've, sp- I've stated many times in the past that my wife and I are definitely struggling with money. And that's not to say I don't make a good career uh, salary. But when your wife, who is also bringing in as much money as you on an annual basis, has now literally cut that annual salary in half... That's a struggle. That's a big-time struggle for a family, especially a family with three children and got a fourth on the way. Uh, so it was brought to my attention this past Monday, and that's one of the reasons why it's taken me until Thursday to report, uh, because I've been busy. I've been busy. I've been out. I've been consulting. been in a lot of different schools. I've done a lot of bonus work, and what I mean by that is I've done a lot of residential work, after work not just in school districts, but going to some residential uh, households and dealing with uh, adults, uh, mostly wheelchair-bound and mostly all mental health-related, whether it be schizophrenia or schizoaffective or bipolar disorder, dealing with that, not necessarily autism. Um, And we've done some celebrating at the office, some celebrating that has deterred me from being able to get away and sit and do a podcast. And the reason why we are celebrating is because Mr. Joe found out on Monday, um, well, I'll tell you this, that my supervisor, my boss, had been on vacation all of last week. And she indicated a couple of times to me throughout emails and text messages um, that she needed to talk to me. And it was interesting because the tone of her voice or the tone of her text or her writing this time around did not make me paranoid. Now, whether it was the tone or whether it was my mind finally becoming stable, who is to know? But I just knew that whatever she was going to tell me was not bad. So come Monday, we met about 9.30 in the morning, and she sat me down in a private room, and she explained to me that she was promoted to senior director, which is the highest possible position other than being a CEO at this agency, and no time, anytime soon, is that going to be changing. Um, But a senior director is as high as it gets. And then the next position down is a director. Uh, So if you're a director, you're about two stages away from being the top dog in the agency. So she's a senior director. She is a top dog. And I was very happy for her, very pleased to hear that. She deserves it. She's been in this company for 10 years, approximately three years longer than I have. She's built this program. She's worked hard. She's a very smart woman. Uh, She's young. She's about 34 years old, but she's smart. And I got her by 10 years, but she's incredibly smart. We come from the same background in terms of our family, our history. She has a brother that actually passed away from a heroin overdose. She, um, her mom and dad are very similar to my parents, although she's maintained a relationship with them. We lived in the same area in Mr. Joe's former neighborhood for quite some time when we grew up, didn't know one another. And we also came from the exact same training facility 
that um, led us to do the career that we are in, involved in now. Now, of course, again, we were 10 years apart, so when I was doing this, it was around 1998, 99, when I really got in-depth with autism, whereas with her, you know, you're talking 2005, something along those lines. So, nevertheless, she goes on to tell me, I wanted to let you know that I have decided, along with all the other senior directors, that you will be receiving a promotion, and you are now the director. You are the director of educational and related services. Uh, and the reason why we've involved the name or included the name related services is because I have a new task that I am taking on, and I, have, I would like to develop, in addition to the applied behavior analysis and the behavioral support that we provide through the insurance program, which I am not directly involved with. I'm just directly involved with schools. Uh, but I am going to be overseeing some of the insurance aspects. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to integrate or create a, a division of this autism uh, insurance component to involve occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy. And I'm going to start with the OT section. Uh, we have a beautiful sensory gym at our location that's really not being utilized. So no better way than to start with occupational therapy and we can build through insurance. So that's going to be my little job that I'm going to take on along with some other things. We've got a huge grant uh, that we've been provided with, like a $200,000 grant in which I have got, um, I have the opportunity to go around to several different institutions and districts and schools and uh, facilities. And I I'm going to train them all on autism and vocational training, which is basically children with autism uh, stepping into adulthood and learning how to get a job, learning how to do what they want to do, and training the schools to help them to achieve those things, because it's not easy. You know, we go out, we get a job, and many of us can't hold down a job, and believe me, Mr. Joe's been there. Although for the most of my career, I've always had a job. There was a very short period of my life where I was so far gone that I sat in a social services office for the government, and they took one look at me, and they said, uh, you could have disability. You don't have to say another word. Uh, it was very sad, because they did not even really have to interview me. They could just speak to me and they could see how mentally ill I was and they were ready to give me disability for myself and my family. Unfortunately, the amount of money that they were willing to give me per month, we could have never lived on. Um, so I quickly went back to work. But there was a part in my life where I was out of work when my uh, ex-wife had gotten an order of protection against me and I was unaware that I was able to still work because the investigation on me was pending and Innocent until proven guilty, but I was told by the Child Protection Agency that I was not allowed to work. Well, they were wrong. So there I am going out trying to formulate a new career all the while I was able to work. And in the end, I was proven innocent. So um, I spent a large period of my life not working and not making a whole lot of money because I um, thought that I couldn't work. So that was, that was sad. <laughs> but nevertheless... Um, the, the the grant has to do with training children to get a job, basically, uh, without getting too in-depth. Um, so good things are happening on the forefront in terms of my career. I was also given, now get this, this is good, guys. Hey, man, you guys, with bipolar disorder, when we are able to achieve these kinds of things, we got to be happy. 
got to be happy. I got a tremendous raise. I'm not going to give numbers because I'm sure people have found me through my work. Um, there's no doubt because people have started to look at me a little different um, and, and have told me that I have a voice that belongs on radio. And there's no reason why people would say that unless they've discovered Mr. Joe's bipolar podcast, which is fine. You know what? I don't care anymore. If everybody discovers here at my place of employment, what are they going to do? They're going to fire me because I have bipolar disorder. They're going to fire me because I used to do drugs and I've now recovered. If that's the case, then, you know, I hate to think along these lines, but you best believe they're going to have a very heavy-duty lawsuit on their hands. And, and that's not something that I would ever want to think about because I absolutely love the place where I work and I'd like to end my career here. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm pinpointing it not so much because of what people are like here. You would have to think they would understand being what we do, all of us here, for a living. Um, they would understand somebody who has a mental health issue. I'm just thinking along the lines of the public and the society that we live in that holds us to a standard of you guys are all wackadoos because um, a lot of people do think that about us just because we have bipolar disorder. So good things are happening, but good things are also, um, in terms of my physical health, they are not happening. Mr. Joe has to go to a doctor, and I don't know how long I'm going to put this off. Uh, I've complained about it. I've spoken about it in the past. My stomach is an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. I haven't gone to the bathroom in three days. Prior to that, I couldn't stop going to the bathroom for about five days. I mean, multiple times a day. Again, I don't know if it's related to the Suboxone that I've come off of. And, you know, we're talking a while here now, guys. It's been a long time that I've been off. I don't think about it anymore. Don't care about it. Um, but I would, I, I would imagine that my digestive system's still getting used to it. Nevertheless, my entire life, I've had gastrointestinal problems, and I don't want to give TMI here, um, so I'm not going to tell you exactly what has gone on, but it's not been pretty. Um, there has been some elimination of bowel movements that does not look normal, um, and I have to get checked out. No doubt about it, I have to get checked out. I'm constantly bloated, I'm constantly um, either having diarrhea or, or bloated and, and unable to go and constipation. Again, listen... This may be due to the medication also. We, we gotta, we got to give our medications a chance to kick in for our bipolar disorder and get through those side effects. Because in the end, the pros are going to outweigh the cons if we have found the correct cocktail. So who knows, maybe this is still the Wellbutrin. I thought I found success with magnesium. doesn't seem to be helping anymore, so I have got to get to a doctor. Because this is just, this is unbearable as of late. Now, I apologize if uh, my voice sounds a little different. I think you could still hear me. I am actually doing this podcast in my car, believe it or not. Um, I have not gone to work yet. I kind of just pulled in, got in a little early so that I could record this podcast and not do it on work time. Uh, but I'm sweating to death in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. It's very hot here. So I actually just turned on my car, put you on pause, and put the air conditioning on. So if you hear a little different sound in the background, that's my air conditioning. And I apologize, but I can't breathe anymore, so I had to put it on. Um, now, last weekend, all three children were with me. Well, we had a beautiful weekend. And one of the things that went on was we have an annual block party that takes place at my sister's house. And for those of you who are not aware what a block party is, 
Well, basically, the entire neighborhood or the entire block that you live on in your neighborhood, they shut down. They shut down and everybody parties. Everybody, you get a DJ, you know, it depends how in-depth you want to get. Um, this particular block party had a water slide. Um, my sister did something really cool. She she had this fish competition where she went out and bought basically 100 goldfish and um, the kids on the block would have to throw the ball through the um, hole and if they did, they want to fish. And, um, you know, so all kinds of different things. There was... Um, what is that called? My God, my in-laws play it all the time. Um, that thing where, geez, I can't believe I don't remember. Basically, you throw like a bean bag across and you try to get it in the hole. I don't remember. <laughs> How sad. There you go. Mr. Joe's memory is shot. Maybe it'll come back to me. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, it's going to drive me crazy now that I can't think about it, but we'll, we'll move on from there. So it was a nice experience other than the fact that it rained, it poured. So we kind of had to go inside. So the whole concept of being on the block and seeing other people and hanging out was kind of put to an end, but you know, the kids got to get their faces painted and they got those temporary tattoos and, um, it was nice. It was a nice time, but again, it was prematurely ended because of the rain in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Here's the interesting thing, and this is the basic gist of my podcast today. In preparation for this block party, in the past, Mr. Joe would have to prep himself in terms of his social anxiety. Uh, Usually, I would not want to go to these things. Uh, When I'm not properly medicated, when I am um, having an episode whether I'm in depression or heightened mania, uh, agitation, whatever it may be, most of the time um, in the past I would either start a fight with my significant other because I just didn't want to go and I would try to stop us from going. I would make everybody's time miserable because that's just what we do with bipolar disorder when we don't want to do something. But this time around, that did not go on. I had no feelings in terms of, I, I don't want to say I was excited, but I certainly wasn't disappointed. I just said, this is something that we're going to do. And the most important part of this is that my three children and my wife are going to have a good time. And that makes me happy. So, you know, that's another thing that leads me to believe my medication is doing, doing me justice right now because I felt that way. And that's great. But here is what happened. The night before the block party, I had an extremely intense dream. I don't want to call it a nightmare because, you know, based on what went on in this dream, it did not seem like a nightmare, that's for sure. Uh, The end results, had it have been real, would have been a nightmare. But I, I actually remember this dream like it was yesterday. And I will tell you this, that these particular dreams, they actually happen about once every three months. The dream consisted of Mr. Joe going to a drug dealer's house and buying an incredibly large amount of cocaine. Um, You know, the details of the dream I can't really report on because I don't really remember who was there and what, what place we were in, but I will tell you this, I remember it like it was yesterday. All I did was snort lines of cocaine. And in my dream... I felt like I was on cocaine. I was high from cocaine. It was a dream come true. It was every good euphoric effect that cocaine 
gave me basically the first time that I had ever done it. You know, that's a, that's a feeling and it's interesting because when you first do cocaine, your dopamine levels go to a place that they've never gone to in their entire life. And the truth is, no matter what kind of cocaine you get, no matter how good is it, after you start doing it for a while, you start chasing that high. That's what it's called, and you're never going to achieve that initial high. Um, and a lot of times, you know, in the beginning of a night, if you start doing cocaine, you're going to get that initial high, and then you're going to chase it all night long and think that you can get it. And that's what makes the addiction so scary and dangerous. Well, this dream... It was the best feeling that I have had in as long as I can remember. I was high as a kite. I was on cocaine. I was clear as day. And I woke up the next day in preparation for this block party. And I am not ashamed to admit it that Mr. Joe wanted cocaine. Here are some of the things that went on in my head. Where can I get cocaine? Who do I ask for cocaine? How do I hide the cocaine from my wife? Who am I going to do the cocaine with? Where am I going to do the cocaine at the block party? Well, it's an outside party. Mr. Joe will have no problem going on inside. I'll set up lines on the countertop in the bathroom. It'll be a breeze. It'll be a dream come true. These are all the things that went on in my head. Now, I did not buy cocaine. I did not do any of that. I did get to the block party, and I will tell you this. It's a damn good thing that my brother-in-law was not there. I had fully expected him to be there, but to my surprise, my sister indicated that he was working. Many, 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 many moons ago, my brother-in-law and I did cocaine together. So I knew had he have been there, there was a very, very distinct possibility that he would have already purchased cocaine. And if I had known that he had it, I would have done it with him. I really think I would have. I would have hit it. I would have done it. Who knows? But he wasn't there. And thank goodness that slowly but surely, as I watched my children enjoy themselves, and I watched them play, and I watched them laugh and smile, and I watched my wife and my sister interact, and I pushed little Mickey around on his new, brand-new toy car that has a handle that he actually thinks he's driving. It's so adorable. Slowly but surely, those thoughts of cocaine went went away no longer thought about it started to forget about everything and then the feeling that came over me was I started to say to myself dear God what in the world was I thinking and I started to become somewhat thankful of the fact that I did not follow through on my urges I said God help me what would I have done I mean could you imagine it if this time instead of watching um, Sarah Lee get her face painted uh, if I was to be hiding in a bathroom snorting cocaine and missing out on that just so I can get a high uh, I started to think about the fact that oh my god what would I feel like tomorrow what would I feel like later on when everybody's tired and Mr. Joe is bright eyed and bushy tailed and I can't sleep the entire night and I start to get anxious and worried and scared. And then, oh my God, then I'm going to take my bipolar medications while I am on cocaine. And the depression the next day is going to be unbearable. So I thanked the good Lord above that I did not follow through on my urges. And at that point in time, 
you know, you start to say to yourself, oh my God, how could I have ever thought that? What was wrong with me? But I made it through. I made it through. And I have to say to you, everybody out there, for those of you who are bipolar, who are not bipolar, but deal with addiction and recovery, this is a normal part of addiction and recovery when it comes to drugs. As a matter of fact, it would not be abnormal. And for those of you who have also had this happen, maybe you can relate to this. For those of you who have tried cocaine or done cocaine or been addicted to cocaine in the past, there are many times, multiple times throughout a month, sometimes it doesn't even happen within three months, but I can go multiple times in a month where I will actually start to smell cocaine in the air. There's a distinct smell. Obviously, if it's going up your nose, you know, it's got a taste and a smell to it. And it's almost like a ghost (laughs) has presented me with cocaine. And let me tell you something. You smell that, you start to think of the times that you did it. You start to crave it. You start to want it. But with me, those feelings immediately go away within seconds. Within seconds, I start to think of the damage that I've done in my life the destruction, the money that I've lost, the bankruptcy that I've gone through, the depression that I've endured, the the waiting for my drug dealer to get to me as quickly as possible and me being so anxious because he hasn't come yet or I can't get him. Um, You know, he's running late. Oh my God, I need this. Where am I going to go? I got to get this. And you know it's coming. But it doesn't matter, you have no patience because you can't wait to do it. And it almost, it almost is unbearable to wait. All those horrible things start to go through my head and what I used to feel like. That, I guess the word is jonesing. <laughs> I think that's the word. You are craving that drug so bad when you are addicted that you could barely wait for your drug dealer to come through. And all of those feelings come in my head, especially when I start to smell cocaine in the air. But again, this is a normal part of addiction and a normal part of recovery. And here's the God's honest truth. There was a time in my life, especially obviously when I was addicted to cocaine, that I simply would never make it through this period of time. I just wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't have done it. I would have done, I would have, instead of turning right, to go to the block party first, I would have turned left and went to the drug dealers. Then I would have turned right, as long as I had my cocaine. But this time around, because I am properly medicated, and that I truly, fully believe because I am medicated and I could think logically and think intelligently based on my prior experiences and based on the consequences that would take place due to my drug use, I was able to pull through and not do drugs. Again, doesn't mean that I didn't think of it. You know, um, in the past, some of the, um, some of the things that might, might work for people is obviously, you know, you start to feel those things immediately go to an AA or NA meeting, you know, speak to your friends, speak to your family, speak to your sponsor, try to get through it or go do drugs. Those are your choices, really, what it comes down to. Those are your options. And way too many times in Mr. Joe's past did he choose option three, and that was, you know what? I am not talking to anybody. I am just going with my impulsivity, and I am going to snort cocaine. And when I run out, I'm going to make sure that I have a number right at my side so I can call for more. Because it was never enough. 
But again, because I am properly medicated and I have fully beaten my addiction and I am in recovery, we'll always be addicts. That's for sure. We'll always be addicts. We'll always be alcoholics. We'll always be fighting. We'll always be in recovery. That never ends. But what can end is the actual usage of the drug or the substance or the alcohol that we were addicted to. We'll always be addicts, but we can end that vicious cycle. And if Mr. Joe is not proof in the pudding, then I don't know what is. And I will always report. I will always report. There was a time I slipped up with marijuana. Drug relapse, 101. I don't know. Maybe I didn't call it 101. Uh, Listen, I took a few pokes of a joint. Nothing major, but you know what? It was enough where it bothered me so much. I had a beer, too. Two beers? I don't remember. It disturbed me so much because as far as I'm concerned, that was a relapse. That was a relapse. That was during the fantasy baseball draft that I had. That was a relapse. I don't care how little that I did. That could have been the gateway into much more severe activities and actions on Mr. Joe's part. So I am always going to be vulnerable. Always going to be be vulnerable just because, listen, I couldn't hold off with the weed that day. I couldn't hold off with having a beer. I looked around me. I couldn't hold off. So again, who is to know that if cocaine was in the vicinity, why wouldn't I do it? I have to believe that I am strong enough. That's what it comes down to, whether or not you are strong enough, whether or not your mind has been trained well enough to understand that the repercussions and the consequences of doing whatever particular drug you once used to abuse is just not worth it. And I know it sounds simple, um, but it's really not. It's really not. As simple as it sounds, it's really not. It takes a lot of practice, takes a lot of patience, takes many, many years. Um, and, you know, it's something that, again, we will always and forever have to deal with. Now, I ask you, and I've said this to a few of my writers, and when I mean writers, emailers, um, who have exposed to me that not only do they have bipolar disorder, they have abused drugs in the past. And I've actually gone out on a limb, and I've said, if you want, if you want, I always have my email up and open. Um, I don't know if you have a sponsor. I don't know if you, if you have a place to go and vent. I said, but if you ever feel like you are ready to crack, please email me. Reach out. Even if I have to call you, you know what my voice sounds like. I will block my number and I will call you and we will talk through it. Because the last thing I want to do is see my audience relapse and my audience be unhealthy. That's what we need to do. We need to stick together. We need to stay healthy. If you need to email me, Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bipolar Joe. If you are doing well with a mental illness, I ask you to continue to work hard. If you know somebody, you love somebody, you care about somebody with a mental illness, I ask you to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction for that matter, I ask you to keep fighting and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day, and I'll see you again real soon. Thanks.